Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. So Dr. Roger Stewart is an antiquarian. How many of you know what an antiquarian is? I also didn't know, actually. Dr. Stewart, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start right there. What's an antiquarian? Well, an antiquarian is interested in antique objects and the stories that surround them, in particular the facts about them. Uh, I personally am also interested in the stories that they, they give rise to. But that's a little different from a historian Absolutely. who is more interested in, in the narrative of, of the past. So for an antiquarian, it's, it's the objects. And mm-hmm. for me, the objects in which I have a particular interest are, are the maps. Huh. And uh, I'm really now curious. So where did that interest come from? Of the maps, specifically the maps for you? <laughs> it started when my brother received a 21st birthday present yes. uh, which is a long time ago. <laughs> you don't uh, tell us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> and so my grandchildren asked me if I'm an antique. They, uh, <laughs> he, he received, he received a, a map of South Africa that mm-hmm. came from the 1600s. And what fascinated me was, first of all, the title was in Latin, and I was studying Latin at school, so okay. it was a struggle for me to translate the title. Yes. And then what was also interesting was that the interior was something I just did not recognize at all. Yeah. It was all mythology. I mean, so, this is exactly it. That's the fascination for me. So the fact that, yes, maps do change, folks. Maps do look very, very different from one era to another for many, many reasons. Sometimes it's just because of the, you know, the environment. Sometimes it's because who has actually mapped it. And sometimes it's instruments and so on. So early mapping of Cape of Good Hope. We're starting around the 1500s to the yeah. 1900s. Yeah. And, and why specifically for you that era, uh, Dr. Stewart? Well, my interest is printed maps. Mm. Uh, many of the very early maps are manuscript maps. In other words, they were drawn by hand yes. on paper, and that's how they're preserved. Whereas printed maps were uh, carved either uh, out of wood or carved into copper or steel and then printed. And uh, because I enjoy collecting, I'm interested in those which I can collect, and those are usually printed maps. Mm-hmm. So my interest is the printed maps. And can we talk about the techniques of, of let's say, the 1500s? What, what were they yeah. using to actually map? Well, what, what they did was that they would draw a map on, on a bit of wood and then cut away what they didn't want, mm-hmm. and then put a piece of ink it, put ink on it, and then press paper on it, mm. and you'd get what was known as a woodcut. Mm. And that, in other words, it's... Uh, it, it, you, you take away what you don't want and you, mm-hmm. and you hope that you will just leave, be left with what you do. The other method has got an Italian name, which essentially means engraving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means you engrave into something such as copper, which was soft, or steel, which is harder. And then you ink that. And it's all done in mirror image. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a challenge. These people had these intricate maps, which they had to draw in, in, in mirror image, including all the writing. Mm. Then they would ink them and then put them into a press, and the press would uh, then wipe away the ink, and and a little bit would be left in the grooves. And then when you put a press, put put a piece of paper on, stuck it in a press, the image would then uh, be retained on on the paper. Mm. And that was the way most of the maps were made that certainly I've collected, but I do have woodcuts as well from Mm. the 1500s. So at the time, I'm told that it was called the Cape of Storms. Do we know if that was a direct translation of maybe an indigenous language at the time? No, no, it was very simple. It was Bartholomew Dyers who went past in uh, 1486 and they had 
typical weather like we're having in Cape yes. Town now. Now it's very stormy out there, and it was quite difficult for the ships, and so he called it the Cape of Storms. Mm. But his boss, the king, mm. uh, King John II, said, no, no, you've just gone there. This is actually good news to us. Mm. It's actually the Cape of Good Hope. And we're calling it that because there is good hope that we will be able to find a route to the Far East mm. via sea. A marketing so ploy of sorts. Of a bit of a marketing, um, you know, branding it, of sorts of the area. Yeah, it, it was for them, but it and, and, and certainly the name stuck and came to me not just the Cape, which is actually a point mm. uh, which is more southerly than Cape Point. Everyone mm. thinks that Cape Point is most southerly. It's a little bit uh, further south itself. Mm. Uh, and it is that point which uh, gave the name to the area almost from Cape Agulhas through to St. Helena Bay, which all became known as Cape of Good Hope, later the Cape Colony. In terms of how long it would have taken for, for the mapping to happen, do we have a sense? Well, it all depends which kind of mapping one's looking at. The very early maps of... Uh, of the Cape of Good Hope in the era that I'm interested in mm. came initially from seafarers who plotted the coastal outline, and they would do that while they were while they while they were on their voyage, and then they would draw them again when they went back home. So the mapping took as long as their voyage. When the mapping of the Cape uh, Interior started, then it took as long as the travellers on ox wagon, because that was how they usually traveled to get information for mapping. Mm, mm. They did a whole lot, took a whole lot of measurements and observations, spoke to the indigenous people who mm. provided a lot of information mm. on areas that they didn't see because mm. they just went along their routes. So mm. It's a little bit like today. We travel along the N2. Well, what's 20 miles away or 20 kilometers away? You have to ask the locals to find out. Mm. So that was a significant contribution to information of early maps once they started uh, once the the map makers started to become interested in what was really there as opposed to what was in the mythology. I'm interested in those relationships because, you know, there's sometimes when we speak about history, it's always very black and white. And I don't I mm. doubt it, it is. I think sometimes there were some really interesting relationships there that were built and that we don't really talk about. And and I imagine it may have been while there was the inland exploration, as you said, with the locals, where th there was somebody who was showing them routes. There was somebody exactly. who was showing them around. That's exactly what happened. And some of the local... Some of the key people who contributed to maps describe in quite considerable detail mm. their local companions who were uh, their guides mm. and who provided information on uh, local names, which many of them kept, kept on their maps, which mm. were later changed. We mm. seem to be going back to those names again now. Mm. And who provided information on if they crossed a river, they would then explain where the river started. Mm. And if there was a big mountain somewhere where it uh, arose from, then they would uh, explain that, and that would, that would feature on the map mm. as well. So, the in, the, and, and William Birchall in particular was, uh, gave a lot of information about the, the details of the people who, who were his companions and the information that they provided. And they were an integral part mm. of the early mapping. The traveler would do all the technical kind of stuff like working out the distances and the directions, uh, writing down in the text of their, in, in, in their own language, what they had observed. And that was what eventually produced, produced the maps.
We're discussing early mapping of the Cape of Good Hope between the 1500s all the way to the 1900s. This is a great opportunity for you to also uh, call in and ask whatever question you have. 011-714-2006. You can also send a WhatsApp note on 614 I'm in conversation with Dr. Roger Stewart. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. We're mapping the Cape of what we had called at the time, not me, but what was called at the time the Cape of Good Hope, um, was named at some point the Cape of Storms. Uh, Professor uh, Dr. Roger Stewart is an antiquarian, and he explained that a little bit earlier on. And, Doc, do we know what it was called before we had called it the Cape of Storms? Yes, before that, now I'm going to give you the European answer because these are where most of the maps came from. They called it Ethiopia Inferior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Ethiopia that we know, mm. uh, and it's very confusing when you see these old maps, Ethiopia inferior was uh, everywhere probably south of the equator. Mm. And so that was, that was its name in Europe before that time. Uh, and that's obviously the maps, if we're talking at the history of maps, we really are mainly looking at the European context, mm. although there were maps of Africa and of the world uh, in the Far East, uh, prior to that, but those are manuscript maps, and to be honest, they're outside my sphere of, yes. of, of study. And they weren't specifically geared towards the Cape of Good Hope, it was really all of Africa and how it fitted in with their concept of how the world looked at that time. There, there must be detail um, that stipulates what kind of vegetation was also there. Now, I ask specifically because in that area you you kind of had uh, the the people that were there were not necessarily people who were farmers they were yeah. uh, the koi if we understand yes. correctly were, were kind right. of nomads so yes. do they talk about what they found there what what was there for them to consume well, apart from what the sea gave them yeah the the early travelers who traveled in the land nearly all of them were naturalists which mm. today we would say were natural scientists mm. scientists had a very broad interest in geography, in uh, animals and plants, and nearly all of them described in quite a lot of detail what they saw and what they found. Mm. Their maps, however, did not reflect much. The uh, map of John Barrow at about, in about 1800 certainly described where there were vast plains, where there were animals and which kinds of animals he saw, not in great detail, but the very first to mention uh, plants the first plant biome was actually in 1698, a very, very beautiful map, mm. which uh, shows the Rhinosterfelt, which mm. is a threatened area in the, uh, in the Western Cape, just north of Cape Town. Uh, and that in those days, there, there were rhinoceroses there. Mm. And, that, mm. and so that was the first to, to mention indigenous, plant, indigenous plants on a map. Mm-hmm. The first one I found. And the first map was John Barrow's map, was the first to indicate the extinction of a, of a plant. And he showed that near Swellendam, mm-hmm. the blue antelope mm-hmm. said used to live in these parts and they were, they became extinct uh, wow. in, in the, in the 1700s. And so we've got a map of South Africa that's mm-hmm. one of the first to record the extinction of a species. And certainly the first in, uh, to record, uh, record the extinction in South Africa. As someone who then looks into this kind of thing in, in detail, and, and I mean, the era that you look into is, is quite is quite a, a long time. How how rapidly were things getting extinct as, as you looked into the ages? 
Well, I think that that is a that that's a a different kind of a question yes. because the maps themselves it's only very modern maps that will sometimes show where animals used to live and now don't where they're locally extinct. I see. But at that time, that was not really yes. a feature. That kind of commentary was uncommon. Mm, I see. Uh, usually, the common there was commentary in some of the books that they wrote. So uh, you'd have to then do the, you'd sort have of to a read, parallel. Go, go through their books, yeah, but. It is mentioned in, in, the, in the 1800s that already there was extinction or threatened extinction of local plants and, and, and local animals due to overhunting, number one. And number two was uh, the utilization of that, of that ground for, for, for agricultural uh, products. Is there mention of the density, the population density of areas? Not directly. Mm-hmm. There were no population maps at that particular time. Often mm-hmm. in the books that they wrote, they would give various a, a breakdown of, of populations. Not all of them did. Some do. Mm-hmm. Some did. But there was very little other than to say very few, that, pe- that they saw very few people mm-hmm. or they saw a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, with most of them traveled far from the Cape at that particular time, the, the concentration of people was rarely between... Uh, False Bay and let's say Saldana Bay in, 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 the, in the southwestern corner of the Cape. Mm. That's where the most were, and the rest were scattered, mainly in, obviously nearly all indigenous uh, people. However, um, settlers, pioneers started to move east and north initially uh, in, in, the, in the early 1700s. Mm. You know, uh, the Cape is one of those areas that is quite varied in vegetation and landscape mm. and so on. And, and a lot of these people are quite famous people that actually uh, documented this. Do we know what, how they described it? You know, was it majestic? Was it awesome? What was it? What yeah, did, how did they, they describe it? They were it? in awe. Yeah. And it was one, and it was because of that, that, uh, Mainly between, let's say, 1750 and about 1825 was the golden age of travel for people from abroad to come here mm. to search for the natural riches, as opposed to the initially where there was often a search for the mythical gold that was meant to be all over Africa. Mm. They actually mm-hmm. came out specifically to learn about the different animals and the unique vegetation. And they were well recorded all the way from 1685. Mm. Uh, where there was a very good record kept uh, of the plants and the animals that were seen at that time. And uh, naturalists such as William Birchall, who was here 1810 to 1815, gave a very detailed description and left with 50,000 specimens. Wow. Not live. Yes. Dried, dried and dead specimens, but mainly plants. Sure. Uh, my goodness. Because initially, right, this was just en route, right? So, so that, Yeah. So the, the decision to explore it and, and to take it in, obviously, it seems like to me what they've discovered was, was quite a surprise, a beautiful surprise. Well, it was, and some of them came with different motives. I mean, we can divide them into different categories. Mm. There, were the, there were the travelers who were part of the, colo- of, of the colonial management of the area who explored to understand who lived where, what what was present in that area Mm -hmm. and what were the boundaries and what happened there and to negotiate. There were those kind of travelers. Mm -hmm. But then there were the scientists, the majority of whom explored the area merely to learn and to understand what was in this this area. So they they were very different. And then the other category of travelers who didn't really contribute to mapping but all Mm -hmm. had maps in their books were the missionaries. 
and they were in search of souls to convert. Mm, mm. Uh, and, and that's a historically a contentious issue. But even so, I mean, but those were the three categories. Those who went for, let's call it government or political I was going to ask others that. Others historians yeah. and the missionaries. When you, when you compare these maps, um, government envoys, do they look different to the missionary maps? Mm. No, the missionaries tended to copy the other one's maps and simplify them and just put their roots on there. Uh, but the, 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 the ones who went out for political mm. reasons, and political I'm using in a, it's a very generous yes. and wide term here. It wasn't necessarily with a particular political motive other than to understand and sometimes to define boundaries. They tended to look very similar to the, to the traveler's maps. Uh, the traveler's maps often had more interesting detail, but... Uh, and some of the the, the, pol- the political people such as who went out, for example, in the early 1800s, were accompanied by naturalists. So the map that followed General Janssens, who was the governor at the time, mm. was the person who went with him, and the naturalist was uh, Henry Lichtenstein, and he drew the map for them. Uh, so sometimes it was a combination. I'm in conversation with Dr. Roger Stewart, who's an antiquarian, and we are going to have this conversation all the way until 2 o'clock. There's a voice note I want us to listen to before we go to the headlines. Hi, I just have one question about the early mapping uh, of South Africa, or perhaps Southern Africa, you could say. Um, Were the first maps to be made of the area done all by Europeans, or were there any done by the Khoi, the Sun, or uh, other tribes in the region? I'm interested to hear. Thanks. Nick from Kenton-on-Sea. Dr. Stewart? Yeah, Nick. Thanks for your question. The the maps to which I refer were nearly all were all produced uh, either in Europe or in South Africa. Um, the and they were produced almost entirely by the ones in South Africa by by settlers or visitors who who were here for a short period of time. There are no records at all of maps from the indigenous population at all. However, they clearly contributed to those maps, and I mentioned that earlier, because they transferred a lot of their knowledge of the geography to the to the travelers, because they knew the routes, and they knew the major uh, beacons, natural beacons, uh, and so that was their contribution. But any that they did draw would have, have none has ever survived, and I'm not aware of any, uh, of any maps of indigenous origin you're referring to the indigenous tribes. Dr. Stewart, some of those drawings, the rock rock art, mm. are some of those the maps? No, they're, no. They're, I'm not aware of any that are maps. I'm happy to be correct, and I'll be delighted to go and see it if there is one. But mm. as far as my knowledge goes and everything that I have read, there are no maps on the indigenous rock art in particular. Mm. There, there are no maps there at all. Dr. Roger Stewart is an antiquarian. We are going to have a conversation on early mapping of the Cape of Good Hope between the 15 to 1900s. You are so welcome to be a part of this conversation. 011-714-2006 or you can send a WhatsApp note on 0614-104-107. It's 1.30. Let me go to Utsi Lesaiko for the latest in headlines. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Early mapping of Cape of Good Hope between the 15 to 1900s. I'm in conversation with Dr. Roger Stewart, an antiquarian, and uh, we are discussing all things to do with Cape of Good Hope mapping. And this is such a fascinating conversation. Dr. Stewart, do we, to what extent did the process of mapping the Cape of Good Hope affect and impact its, uh, its politics? 
<clears throat> I think that there there are, there are two perspectives on that issue. There are uh, writers today who uh, are of the view that the maps were used to entrench uh, power and imperialism within the within the country. Uh, there is another view that says that the maps were produced in order to show that uh, what what the political layout was. And in fact, very many of the early maps uh, used names to reflect indigenous ownership or indigenous occupation of certain re- of certain regions. They didn't have provincial names; they weren't colonial names, but they were produced in Europe. Yet the areas that they identified usually were related to the names of the particular indigenous tribes as they understood them at that time. So I think they're two different views, and it's usually historians who take a particular a particular view on that, usually to uh, to advance a particular thesis or to uh, counter a, a thesis with which they may not agree. Mm. So there are two perspectives, mm. and I think we should listen to both because mm. there's an element of truth in both. There's no doubt about it. Mm. There certainly are the maps produced during the uh, Boer War in particular, for example, were clearly uh, delineated, clearly delineated various, uh, various areas and political ownership, if you wish, and they were used to advance that, and mainly the British maps, to advance their, uh, their further uh, imperialistic intents. But that is not true of all of the maps. So I think there are. I think both sides have elements of truth, and one needs to understand the context within which a particular map was produced. Mm. Derek is calling us from Durban. Hi, Derek. Hi. Oh, good day to you, Ron. Uh, quick word. Mm, go um, ahead, Doctor. The quaffer is extinct. Um, there's apparently a cross between a, a donkey and a zebra. And I know they try to recreate the quaffer. I don't know what success they've had and why. They can't still cross them to make another quokka. I've seen one in the museum in Cape Town. The only one I think it's alive. Oh, sorry, only one that uh, remains. No. Uh, so I was on the radio. Thank you. Is, is that for you, Dr. Stewart? Yeah. Well, it, that that's an area I don't think I should venture into. I'm here to really discuss maps and yes. not the uh, success of trying to regenerate the quokka. Um, one of the most famous maps that I like is that of William Birchall and, and uh, Birchall's Quaho zebra is, is, is well known. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be going beyond my area of expertise mm. to, to make a comment on it. However, I can say that the extinction of the quaha is not recorded, although there are references to quaha on, on, various, on various maps. Mm. Thanks for that, uh, Derek. Uh, that's as much as we can get from Dr. Stewart. Um, Tyrell, is it Tyrell? 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 Kokstad? Tyrell, Tyrell. Cyril. Yes. How are you, Pamela? <laughs> How are you, Cyril? <laughs> Our apologies, Cyril. Welcome no, to the show. No, it doesn't matter, man. <laughs> you know, you're such an interesting person, and I just love you. When <laughs> it appears that that you you're also descending from the first indigenous people, uh, Pamela, uh, mm-hmm. I just want to ask uh, Dr. Rogers thing. Mm. Uh, but, but it also appears that you already asked. Uh, pertinent question that I wanted to ask, mm. you know. But, uh, uh, Dr. Rogers, those maps that you're talking about, uh, I have done also some research in the archives in Cape Town, and one finds those maps. Those maps, 
if in court one want to test them, how old are they? Mm-hmm. That's one question. Is, is, is there something like that? That those maps can be tested? That whoever wrote it or drew it, mm-hmm. that they can verify years back? That's one question. Interesting. The other question is, uh, is the I just came in late in the program to listen in, uh, is that uh, the Roy Boss, uh, those plants, as he, can, can you elaborate on the Roy Boss and those indigenous plants? Mm-hmm. These are just two questions. Mm-hmm. But this is very fascinating. Uh, 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 this thing, uh, uh, stories, yeah. Thanks, Cyril. Thank you. So also, much. lastly, yeah, I see you bringing them on. You are really bringing them on. You you brought some some very interesting people that also done studies on the first indigenous people. If one one just wonders if we can bring these intellectuals in one program, that would be fascinating. In one program at the same time. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am, and not one at a time. You know, Cyril. <laughs> Jeez, there's you. not enough time in the, the in the day. Thanks for that. Um, so, Doctor Stewart, the 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 he wants to know about how do we verify the the, the, the dates on these maps? Yeah. Okay. The the dating of the maps is sometimes difficult and sometimes easy. It's usually easy when the date has been inscribed on it, and very many of the maps do. Mm. Some maps don't, but they usually are. On the opposite side of the page, there's often useful information. I can work out from which book the, the map came, and it is possible with a little bit of uh, ingenuity and uh, devotion to the subject to actually work out when the map, when the map was produced. Uh, and you can date the paper. Uh, there are people who could presumably date the ink and understand what kind of inks were used. But for most of them, it's not really a contentious issue because those of the the important maps were either dated as manuscript maps, and there's mm-hmm. a record of them in the archives of having been produced at that time, or they come from books, and we know when the books were published because that information is readily available. Okay. And the other question I think he had was what? around uh, yeah, indigenous plants. Yeah, well, I think I've discussed the indigenous mm-hmm. plant section and uh, – the Roybos in, in, the, in the maps that I have uh, investigated, 15 to 1900, I saw no mention in, in the maps of Roybos, although um, the, many of the travelers did refer to the various kinds of indigenous teas that were drunk. Hmm. Let me go to Mike in Durban. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, and to your desk, uh, doctor. Yes, good afternoon, doctor, Mike. Doctor, I've been researching the Koi many, many years, and I've actually got in front of me an autographed book. It's the Encyclopedia of Southern Africa by Eric Rosenthal. Remember the three wise men? Yep, I remember him. I'm old enough to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Arthur Bletchley. Who was the third one? I just can't remember. I can't remember right now. I probably told you that I am older. <laughs> I just can't remember him. All right. I'm a 1940 model, by the way. <laughs> uh, okay, I wanted to ask you, on, in, in your maxes, did they come across a tribe called the Korano? Yes. That's interesting. The Korano were very big people. They looked like yeah. they immigrated from Central Africa somewhere. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right? Well, the, the Korano are, are, are recorded on, on many of the maps. And uh, the map by William Birchall in particular mm-hmm. refers to them, and in his book, refers to them extensively. And they have become assimilated into what 
today, I think we might still call the Krikwa people. Mm. And as a separate entity, they no longer exist. And therefore, the record are both geographical, in other words, on the maps, tells mm-hmm. us where they were, which is important. And secondly, the texts, the books from which they were, in which they were published, are invaluable uh, sources of information on the Korana people. Mm-hmm. And there are also some beautiful plants named after them too. Dr. Stewart, can you maybe just highlight specifically some of the areas where you see them on the maps? Yeah, it's near, well, it's near, believe it or not, Rikwistat. Interesting. which was used to be known then as Klarwater, yes. uh, where, there were, uh, where there was a missionary station. The people who lived in that area were the Korana, and uh, that is why, as I said earlier, that they have been assimilated into the, into the Griqua nations, <laughs> frequent people who are, are quite a diverse, have, have, have many genetic origins. Mm. Is, that, is that it, Mike, for you? I've been researching the ori- where they came from. Anyhow, something interesting, the, the uh, koi, my research goes back to Cambodia, right, yeah. because of the dogs they brought to them, it's a, a small dog you can still find in, in uh, Botswana and some places in Namibia, with a ridge on the back, which yeah. became the Rhodesian Ridgeback. Now, I've got evidence here that the Koi lived on Malta Island 4,000 years ago. If you look at the statuettes on the, on the temples that are 30 meters under the sea now, you know, they built them during the Ice Age. And if you look at Tara Bartman and you look at one of these, they look like twins. And it appears, because the Koi, it appears, came down across Africa somewhere, uh, Central Africa, they came down from from the Egyptian side and they crossed over to the west coast and they came down and the first people to find them there were the French. They were cheating. And the French taught them to speak French. They were using them as... Uh, if you read... If you read... Uh, uh, a research by... Um, the Dutch government commissioned uh, uh, Nico Lamprecht in Durban, who's now Dr. Nico Lamprecht, a retired school teacher. He did the research, he did research into the Dutch before Van Riebeck. It's on the UKZN website, it's about 265 pages in Afrikaans. And, and he has got quite a bit of research into the Koi on the West Coast. I mean, it's fascinating, Mike. We'll, we'll obviously have a look at that. But, um, Dr. Stewart, I mean, to what extent do we have a lot of uh, documentation of the koi in, in, in the maps? Very, it, really, the, what one does find is the names of the different groupings mm. and more or less where they were thought to, uh, to live, the mm. areas that they occupied. Mm. And that is uh, quite common, particularly in the French maps of yes. the 1700s. And by the way, the, the, the third person to test the team is Grant Laden. Laden Grant Laden. Ah, so. okay. Thanks for that. Vuyiswa, you're calling from Joburg. Hi. Hello, yes. Vuyiswa. Good, thanks. And your guest there. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm concerned about um, this whole history, geography, and all these things of, ma- of making of, of, of ma- maps and all these things because... 
all what we know is that um, uh, Europeans, when they, they landed in Africa, the, the, the whole mission was to, or agenda was to try and change things. You know, it's not true that uh, people didn't have, because if you look at what happened, is that they came in and then tried to, you know, the word they use is explore and discover. It is very uh, concerning that you discover a place where it is lived. Yes, it might happen that people are scattered, uh, staying all over, but there was this wisdom. People had uh, their own uh, things that they developed or their own map because as a, as, a, as a foreigner arriving in a foreign territory, you, you're not going to know the place without the help of the indigenous people of this area. Why I'm saying so right now, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of research as well. I've done research because I grew up in exile. So I've done a lot of research in, in, in the entire continent, not separating Cape Town, but in the entire continent, in Egypt as well. You look at the history of Napoleon. When he came, he came with a lot of, 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 of European scholars that were meant to come and, and, and steal the information and steal, you know, and try and change the landscape of what uh, uh, Africa was. That's why you find that they, they, they portray Egypt as if it's, it's, it's not part of Africa. So we're having this Cape also problem. And I'm even printing uh, T-shirts on uh, the original map of Africa because all what we've been given by the Europeans is not the original map of Africa. You know, we, 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 we now know, you know, as we researched what Africa looked like before and what Cape Town looked like before before white men came and started changing all these things, you, you know, just to claim uh, a, a hero ship that they are heroes. This is what they did, they exploring. Their agenda was not distinct. Whether it's scientists, travelers, whether it's those who came to colonize, the agenda was one, is to conquer the continent. So, so because of that, we shouldn't dis- discuss that? Yeah. So because of that, we shouldn't be discussing different eras? Yes, because we're trying also, Pamela, to work hard, because we cannot be scholars of Europeans every time because, yes, we, 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 I'm, I'm very much uh, thankful, you know, for whatever happened uh, to our lives as Africans that they came and, uh, you know, con- uh, and committed so much genocide in the continent. And remember, our ancestors did hide the, 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 the information for us. That's what they're saying now, archaeologists, they're discovering. I used to have a lot of fights with archaeologists in Egypt and Middle East because they would not want you as an African, as a female, as a woman. I suffered so much, and I would fight and tell them, look, this is our space. We have to share it. You don't own the space. We also have to come up with our own research and find out who we are. Because remember, most of us are privileged to have had ancestors who who learned from oral history, not what is written uh, by, by, by Westerners. Because Westerners' business is to try and conquer and, and, and distort whatever history that we Africans try hard, you know, to get back and say, who are we? You know, so we were me, here before them. And me, we were here. We are here. And we, we, we are going to correct all those things because there's a lot of things that went wrong. Let me ask you, know, you this question. Why and they have resources. We don't have resources. Right now we're working on it, but we don't have resources. We work from our own pocket. L- and me, they've got quite a lot of, of resources. That's why they can actually distort the info at any time. Well, so let me ask you this. Why do you think we're having this conversation? Yes, I, I thank you so much, Pamela, for bringing this into us because we really need a debate on this. 
you, we really need to debate because there's a lot of things that Europeans have actually made wrong, you know, in, 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 in trying to, to deceive, you know, generations to come. So we need to correct it. You know, we need to correct it so that our, our generations to come can learn the right history because you can't always depend on something that comes. Why did they steal most of the information if you go to European libraries? For instance, I used to frequent the House of Commons library. You find a lot of things that they've stolen from Africa, you know, and come and tell us they discovered they, they were exploring, they were doing this, they were separate from, from the whole agenda of colonization. But the fact is that it was the whole team. They were working together. We saw there in Johannesburg. Do you want to comment on that, Dr. Stewart? Um, you know, I, I guess I, I was brought up in a in a, the spirit of academic freedom and the right and the freedom of people to explore issues from their own perspective. And I think that the challenge for us is rather than to say something is not allowed or is forbidden or is wrong, is to actually explore the different perspectives and to try and find the convergence that there may be and in some areas to have different opinions. And I think sometimes when we have different perspectives, we think see things differently, but it doesn't mean uh, one is right and one is wrong. They're just different views of it. And I believe that, uh, and, I, and I hear the point of view, what I have said to you already in, when you asked me earlier, is that the indigenous people uh, with the num- made a major contribution to some of the early, yes, European mapping. They provided a lot of information that was not available to the Europeans who only saw what was in front of them. And some, and that has generally been, been well depicted uh, in, in the maps. Um, and so I, I, I think, yes, there, there, are, there are other perspectives on mapping, but I tend to have a fairly liberal and open view that we should explore uh, knowledge and science from different perspectives I don't believe that one is necessarily right or wrong. I think we've got to try and understand those different perspectives and uh, do what we can to recognize them. And as a simple example of that, above my desk here, mm-hmm. I have a map drawn by Leo Africanus. So he's an African. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an upside, what, what the Europeans call an upside-down map. Mm-hmm. It's got Africa with the south on top and the north at the bottom. Mm. And it is always contentious when I show it to... To people from from Europe, and to me, it's it's actually the it, it's just as much the right way. What's that? What's that age? What when was that? Fifteen sixty three. Yeah. And and to what extent, Doctor Stewart, do the different maps differ, particularly in you know the Asian maps and the European maps of the African Markedly. continent? Yeah. Look, those are the African continent. My area of study for this was the Cape. The Cape. But in general, I can just say they are radically different. Really. And yeah, they look very, very different. But these are early manuscript maps. Some yeah. of them are only only copies. Yes. Uh, the very first map of the world is actually an O with a with a T in it, <laughs> and uh, Africa is one part of 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 below below the horizontal bar of one of the of the T. Um, and the Euro- and the and the Asian maps are, are quite different, and I think we should and it and it's difficult for many of us who have a different orientation to fully understand those maps, and that is the richness of having international symposia as we did uh, as I hosted in in, in twenty fifteen, where we had Koreans presenting their view of the world map and of Africa from the fourteen hundreds. Mm. 
Mm. And it is different. And I think all we can say is it is different and try to understand it. So I have a, I have a very tolerant view rather than a view that says one is correct and the other is wrong. If we come back to the Cape and the fact that there were Asians who were also using this route for their own purposes as well as the Europeans who were there for other purposes as well. Yeah. Do those maps look similar? I have not seen maps from Asia of the Cape of Good Hope in the period that, that I mentioned. I have seen the occasional one of Africa, uh, and I'm not a, I must be honest, I'm not a scholar of or a, very knowledgeable of it, but I haven't seen uh, maps from that area that uh, the ones that I have have not have not differed significantly. Mm-hmm. But there are very few that are generally available uh, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Dinae is calling us from Pulukwane. Hi, Dinae. Hi, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let. Thank you, thank you. I, I. I'm going to ask you to switch off the radio, please, because we can't hear you. We keep hearing some feedback. I think you can hear that. Um, Let me start by appreciating the professor Mm -hmm. Uh, in the sense of his way of debating that one. No one can claim to say this one is correct. Uh, There's no any other research that has been done and all those stuff. And the the same applies uh, to the lady who came and said the map of Africa is not the one that we see and all those things. But uh, generally, I think, um, as they say, history repeats itself. And uh, of course, history teaches us that which was there and then which we can take it or not until proven the other way around. But um, at the end of the day, to be honest, Africa, people were staying in Africa. And um, uh, the so-called colonizers came in the sense of after the Second World War, if not the first one, for sure. And then, well, now there was this issue of the Dromedaris Rekhar, who they walk, you know them. Uh, those, those, those Dutch, whatever stuff, they came to, down to the, the Cape 1652 thing. But uh, people can discover something that, 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 that is existing, Right. So let me ask you again, because I, I never got quite the answer. We're not talking about discoveries, though, hey, Dene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I hear you. I was, I was listening, although I got it in between, whereby you are talking about a certain thing, but it, 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 it enlarged to the so-called Africa and what is the thing and all those stuff, right? No, that's not what I was discussing. That's what she was discussing. That's not what we're discussing. We are specific. We are talking about early mapping of the Cape, 1500 specifically to 1900s. It is not about discovering the Cape. And that's why when we started the conversation, we actually touched on that. Okay, okay. Let, 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 let me come to the party then. But mm-hmm. that's what the lady, the lady yeah, was yes, right. Yes, that's what she was talking about. That's not what we were discussing. All right. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let me take the route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the very same story as she was saying. I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll, I'll But take while the, you the do that, now. I also, you need to help me how mm. that connects to what we are discussing. Because what we are doing now, we are moving away from the actual discussion. We distract, we, we detracting from where we were. I, I had no intention of talking about discovering the Cape. Nobody 
I had this was not about discovering the Cape. No, I got you. I got you, sister. So, you, you, you so while you, you discuss that, you, you need to help us connect the dots to this conversation around maps. Because this conversation, its intention is about talking about maps, how they shaped our history and so on. It's not about discovering anything. That's why I say um, I'm putting the line, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the party. Okay. Yeah, the, the, then on that very same story, mm-hmm. again, it has to do with who had power then mm-hmm. to, 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 to draw that very map and then what was the idea. Mm-hmm. It, it, because when I was studying my, my, my history, mm. I realized that when even the so-called uh, uh, many laws in, in, in South Africa generally, although not moving away from your topic, it was done uh, in the benefit of some particular group of people. Absolutely. So, so, yeah. Absolutely, which is what we were highlighting earlier, and I'm sure you mm. must have missed that. That's exactly that. Yeah, yeah, that one I missed. I'm sorry for that. That's why I say, let me talk the line and then come mm. back to you. But, but at the end of the day, let me finish by saying, well, um, each and, in each and every history or map drawing or whatever you may call mm-hmm. it, uh, it has to do with um, what that person wanted to do with Correct. the drawing of that very thing. Absolutely. And then at the end of the day, yeah. Absolutely. That's why people are questioning as to why this is, why that is the way that it is, and then it's supposed to be changed and all those things. Otherwise, thank you very much. Thank, and you. thank you for the professor you. and you to have brought him on the radio. Thank you so much. Uh, let me quickly then come to this question of um, landscape, uh, Dr. Stewart. You know, these days in, in modern maps, a lot of the landscape changes so rapidly because of, I don't know, people call it all sorts of things, uh, global change, uh, weather patterns changing and so on. To what extent do we see that weather pattern changing on the maps between the 1500s and the 1900s? Virtually nothing. Really? Uh, I think it was an era of discovery mm-hmm. uh, of of the interior by those those particular map makers, and in that period, they uh, there's a, a fair degree of consistency of what they found, but they were never uh, developed to an extent of being a detailed portrayal of the topography. Not in that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 occurred much later when there was aerial photography, satellite pictures, and mm-hmm. so on. There one could see a lot. Here, these people who mapped at that time mm-hmm. were actually walking on the ground and what they saw was what was in front of them. And they did not have the benefit of some of the technology that is available after the 1900s. Mm. And that is the reason, that, and, and many of the travelers followed similar routes because they went became well-worn paths. Uh, and that in itself is a, is a fascinating area of the maps, mm. is the original road routes and how they changed and uh, what, where, what they followed and why they went where they did. Mm. Um, and so the, the, I, would, I would say that those early maps were really not suitable for us to use to look at, at changes in the landscape. What one does see is sometimes drawings of the landscape by some of those travelers, some of whom drew very badly and others who drew exquisitely beautifully and very accurately, such as William Birchall. And it's very useful to look at some of those landscapes today and compare them. And this is now 1811 to uh, 1810 to 1815. Mm. And to see them today and 
quite honestly, when you see the drawings, you, you know exactly where you are. <laughs> where do we find and, them, and Dr. it's too Stewart? short a period of time to see it. It's over a short period. It, it, yeah, and relatively for, for, for that purpose, it's in, a short in period. In geological terms, yes. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a second. You know, it's just, it, it's too short I understand, yeah. for us to see. And, and the detail was not there because they didn't have the technology available. Dr. Stewart, where can people find these maps? I mean, do you? I mean, you you talk about looking up in your in your study and seeing yes. some. I mean, do you share some electronic? Yes, well, I, I I I will tell you now that I I did a selection of maps of the Cape of Good Hope, and the website is still available. Okay, uh, it's 2015. I M Cos Maps. I M C O S M A P S. That's mm-hmm. all one word. 2015. M Cos Maps. Org free, O-R-G-F-R-E-E dot com. Okay. And if they go to that site, they will see a selection of the maps where I have done uh, an analysis. And bear in mind that the purpose of these maps was to introduce uh, guests to a symposium that we held in 2015. So they're orientated towards that particular area of interest of those people. Thank you so much, Dr. Roger Stewart, an antiquarian. They're talking about early mapping of the Cape of Grove between 1500s to the 1900s. It brings us to two o'clock. Let me go to Utsi Lesako for the latest in SABC News.